And you don't want to be someone else. You want to be yourself. The more happiness and love and support and encouragement you give to others, the more you will get it as well. And this is from experience. So I hope this helps because this is, as I said, the hardest thing to deal with in our very, very competitive um, industry inside within ourselves. Welcome to Rewind, an optimistic podcast that'll help you in your successful career in music. Amit Weiner hosts musicians, composers, professors, and sound wizards as they share their life stories and career decisions. Stay tuned, it's gonna be epic. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rewind, the podcast that will help you build and elevate your career in music. Thank you so much for joining us in this episode. I am your host, Amit Weiner, and today we have a very special guest, Sharon Farber. But before I introduce Sharon, if you want to support the podcast, don't forget to rate it and give it a follow on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It will help the podcast reach more people who might find it interesting. And now our special guest, Sharon Farber. Thank you so much for being here today. It is my pleasure to be here, Amit, and thank you for having me. Sharon, I'll introduce you to the listeners. Sharon Farber is a Grammy Award winner and four-time Emmy Award-nominated composer living in LA, a member of the executive's committees of both the Motion Pictures and TV Academies, board member of ASCAP, VP of the Alliance for Women Film Composers, winner of the Society of Composers and Lyricists Award and the Telly Award. And Sharon Farber is a celebrated film, TV and concert music composer. Sharon was nominated for the SCL and the ASCAP Awards for her music for Brainwashed, Sex, Camera, Power which was released commercially and which we will speak also in this episode today. Sharon is a graduate of the Berklee College of Music in Film Scoring and Concert Composition and has been working with networks and cable broadcasters like NBC, CBC, Showtime, Lifetime and the WB, as well as writing music for feature films and documentaries. Her film music has been released commercially and performed live in concert. And Sharon, we are recording this episode a day after your piece, Children of Light, was recorded at AB Road Studios by the Grammys winning National Children's Chorus. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. It's actually uh, was recorded in summer, but it just uh, was released last week. So I'm very excited about it. This is an amazing group. Uh, it's called the Children Cor uh, National Children Chorus. Uh, they are, they have uh, many branches. They have Los Angeles and New York and San Francisco and uh, Dallas. I mean, they're amazing. And every year they, they're doing a tour. Um, I mean, this is, they start at age five until college. And they're so professional. And they, they not only sing in the best techniques and they, they get in theory and harmony and conducting lessons and composition. They're really an amazing, amazing organization. Uh, and a few years ago, they commissioned me uh, to write this piece, and which I have done. And they said, 
we love it so much. So when we record our next album, we want your piece in it. And that's what I did. And I happened to be uh, in Europe at the time because I'm teaching in Italy uh, film music, as you know. And I was also working on a, uh, on a TV show called Red Skies, and it won the first prize in Berlin. So from Italy, uh, we went to Berlin. And from Berlin, uh, just the timing was perfect to go to the recording of... Uh, of Children of Light and, you know, recording at Abbey Road. Oh my God, this is like one of the best studios ever in the world. And it was a, a real iconic place to record at. Uh, my first time recording there and I'm hoping that definitely not my last. Wow, yeah, but, fingers crossed. Uh, yes, wonderful, wonderful experience. And, and check out this album because writing for chorus um, is the... Is, is something that I enjoy very much. I love the human voice. I write uh, a lot to the human voice. And writing for chorus especially um, has so many things that you can do in, with texture. Now, of course, you know, this is the uh, children chorus ages about 12 to 16. So they're not starting out, but of course they're not, uh, you know, college level but they're almost there they're amazing uh but their voices still sound more uh on the treble let's say treble uh clef rather than full mixed choir when we have tenors and baritones which is a bigger uh sound so so you have to know how to um how to take what you have and, and make something beautiful out of it um, while realizing that there, there are limits that do not exist in mixed choir that has, as we say, also the low voices. Uh, it's, it's a challenge, but uh, it, was, it came out great. Also, I own the lyrics because I wrote the lyrics uh, and the poem, uh, which I highly recommend to anyone listening. Uh, if you write music, songs, um, pieces, whatever, and you write lyrics, um, especially if you write um, more concert-oriented pieces, I highly recommend it. If you have the ability, uh, write the music and write the lyrics, or find public domain um, poems to use. Because otherwise, it's, uh, it's, it's a headache, especially if it's, uh, let's say, it's an author that you really like and you really love, but um, maybe he, was, he or she are dead for 30 years, which it does not put it into the 75 years um, cutoff for public domain, which means that you need to go to the estate, find out who owns the estate, who deals with all the legal stuff. It's just a headache. So it, if possible, I recommend public domain or writing your own um, lyrics, which is also fun. Yeah, definitely. Wonderful tip. So Sharon, let's start with the beginning. But before I have to say that you have been a huge inspiration on me in the last seven years that we know each other with your successful career and all the things that you're doing. So why don't we start with the uh, beginning and could you share with the listeners your musical journey and how you've got to where you are today? Um, sure. First, thank you, Amit, because you never know who you influence by just being yourself and doing what you want to do. And you are an inspiration to me because you are such a 
go-getter and you know what you want and this podcast for example not only you know it brings you a lot of um, advice from other people you also help others by doing so so you give and you receive and it's beautiful so thank you for doing it um so i come from a very musical family um my mom was a ballerina my dad played piano my uncle is very well known as a songwriter uh, my grandparents, they played, he played uh, guitar and my grandmother played mandolin. And by the way, my grandfather, his name was Maurice. And last year I got commissioned by Juilliard School of Music to write a piece for guitar for Tali Roth, who's a wonderful, wonderful uh, guitar player and the head of the um, preparatory school at Juilliard. And I called it Maurice Oriental Fantasy. And dedicated it to my grandfather. So hopefully, uh, Tali is going to be recording it soon. So I'm hoping that he's going to listen and enjoy. Um, and I started piano when I was seven with my sister, um, who, was, who is still uh, two years uh, older than me. And after two years, she said, you know, I don't want to play piano anymore. And my mom, very, very smartly, said to me, Sharon, look, you're already nine. So you're a big girl now. You have to decide. Do you like piano? You're going to be going only by yourself. Your sister doesn't want to do it. And I said, yeah, I like piano and I'd like to continue, which I have. And then um, I went to an art high school and then I was working as a music director and I was working on, I did some music for theater and I was teaching a lot. I was teaching I had a lot of students, and I just at one point felt like um, I can't do it anymore. I need to spread my wings, and I auditioned, and I received a, a scholarship to go to Berkeley College of Music. And I thought that I'm only going to do like a one-year diploma in film music. But upon arriving and, you know, just being there for a few days, I loved it so much that I decided to switch to degree. And um, after a while, I was like, you know what? I love film music, but I also love writing music that has no connection to the visuals or media, if the visuals are in my mind. Um, so I switched to dual degree uh, in film music and concert composition. Although my piano teacher at the time wanted me to be a jazz pianist. He said, you really don't And I, I almost, I was tempted. Um, but I really like the orchestra jazz. It does, you know, lots of improvisation, which is amazing. But for me, I wanted people to really write what I'm writing, to, to play what I'm writing. So I stayed with the dual major of um, film score and, and concert composition, which I was able to do in six semesters because I had a lot of previous knowledge and I was able to test out a lot of stuff. And um, upon graduating, upon almost graduating, I went to the Career Resource Center. There was this little um, little note saying, internship with the TV Academy. It's like, okay, in Los Angeles, I had a year of practical training, meaning I could work in, in the United States for one year. So it was, okay, either we go to New York or we go to Los Angeles. 
I was so cold after three years in Boston. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to see snow for the next 30 years. Let me have Los Angeles with its beautiful weather. So I applied. I applied to, to this internship and to my astonishment, I was picked out of 600 people by Jonathan Wolf, who was doing Seinfeld at the time, and Alf Klausen, who was scoring The Simpsons. Um, and they said, you are our selection, our pick. Would you like to come to LA? And I said, sure. And it was so funny because they didn't even know who Jonathan was. Uh, Jonathan, if you're listening, please forgive me. But you probably remember this phone call when you said, hello, Sharon, this is Jonathan Wolf. Jonathan Wolf. And I said, who? That's Jonathan Wolf. And I said, uh, I'm sorry, do I know you? <laughs> and Jonathan said, um, yes, well, I am the composer of Seinfeld, among many others. And I'm also the mentor of the TV Academy internship. And I would like to offer you the internship. It was so I was so embarrassed. I'm so sorry. But I think he liked that, that I wasn't like starstruck or, you know. So, so we came, me and my boyfriend at the time, who's my husband today, uh, moved to Los Angeles to see, you know, um, what it can bring us. And I spent two months with Jonathan, who was doing only MIDI. I assume the listeners know what MIDI is, or do we need to assume they do? Maybe you can provide a short explanation of what only MIDI means. Only computerized, so no live instruments. Everything is within the computer. Uh, and Alf Plassen was scoring The Simpsons every, every Friday. So every Friday at 10 a.m. he would have a spotting session, meaning talking through the next episode, where does music come in, where does music come out, what is the style of the music. And then at one o'clock, so they would have a, a, a spotting session from 10 to, to, to 12, I think. And then they would have a break for over an hour. And then one, we would start the actual recording session. Um, and it was wonderful because, you know, it was like the best musicians in, in the world and Paramount and Sony every time recording in a different place. Um, so from Alf, I got really even more um, addicted to film music because he scored this. He was, I mean, Alf is amazing. And if you listen to the music of the Simpsons, it, it's brilliant, really. And I'm not talking about the um, da 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 da. That's Danny Elfman. I'm talking about the score, meaning the music that accompanies uh, every f- film or show, the soundtrack. Um, so it was good for me to see this and this and realize what I need to do uh, and what I would like to do. And then I decided to try everything that was here to, to be offered. And it was the Ask a Film Scoring Workshop, that, which I highly, highly recommend to anyone who's starting uh, to, um, not someone who's starting out because it's, you have to know what you're doing. Um, it's a huge, it's a there's some really great, great musicians there who write amazing music. I did the SEL uh, mentorship program. Uh, and then it's funny because you never know. I did the SEL mentorship program uh, and met lots of wonderful people like Dan Foliard, 
who's a wonderful TV composer, very well known with lots of awards. And then Oz called me and said, I think you should run for the board of this SCL, the Society of Composers and Lyricists, which again, I highly recommend you join. Um, and I ran and I got elected to the board and I was there for 10 years while Dan Folliard uh, was one of my mentors, was actually the president. And just lately, uh, I scored a new film and we had an interview and Dan was the MC, the interviewer. So you never know. Uh, and he's with me also on the board of ASCAP. So the people who you meet when you come out here at the beginning that you appreciate and respect, they become your friends and your supporters and you, their support, supporters. So Connections and um, relationships are extremely, extremely important in this town, in every town, in every profession. So I did that. I did the SCL. What else did I do? There was one more thing that I did. I can't remember. I did everything I could. Oh, I, um, the ASCAP, the TV Academy, and yeah. So at the end of my internship with uh, with uh, Jonathan, he said, Sharon, who would you like to meet in the industry? And without any hesitation, I said, Shirley Walker. When I was in Boston, I, I wouldn't schedule classes at 3 p.m. because I wanted to see Batman and Superman, the animated TV show for Warner Brothers, because the music was remarkable. And I looked who was doing this music, and it was Shirley Walker, who was the pioneer for women composers. Um, and so I said Shirley Walker, and uh, Jonathan was kind enough to introduce me to Shirley. And Shirley really liked me. First, she recommended me to do what we call proofreading for Warner Brothers. So when someone writes music uh, for an orchestra, it goes from the composer to the orchestrator to the music library, but not the music library that we know, but music library where they prepare the music for a session. So you have the full score, the partitura, as we say, and then you have uh, the parts for the musician. Each, each player gets a part. It all has to be extremely organized. It has to look good. It has to look great because every little minute costs a lot of money. So if there are mistakes, you know, the rule in LA or in the film music industry is that when you have one mistake, that's eh, okay. Two mistakes. Well, maybe, maybe they didn't have enough sleep, so that's why. But by the third mistake, the the uh, players would start questioning everything. So they would say, if something doesn't sound right, they would say, "Oh, this is is this F sharp or or F or is this D or are you sure it's D? Because is it D minor? Because the chords on D minor, but it um, so." It has to be really top, top, top quality. And that's why we have proofreaders who go after, after the full score uh, and parts already, you compare and make sure that everything is good. So I did that for a while. And then Shirley called me and asked if I would like to do orchestration for her, which was, of course, a big step for me. And I said, let me think about it. No, I said, of course. And I started working with Shirley, and shortly after, I started writing for the show. Uh, and I did a few cues, but unfortunately, um, 
Warner Brothers decided no more, um, no more uh, orchestra because they had 15 uh, years of Shirley's orchestra that they owned. So I was with Shirley for a year. And, uh, and I was the last one to come and the first one to go, which is okay, you know, because that, that open, I mean, the, the time I had with Shirley was like a, more than school can ever offer because we recorded every week at the biggest studios in town with the best musicians. Um, I have learned so much, mostly how to take a small orchestra and make it sound really big. I've learned so many techniques from her, just really amazing. So, um, so after that, um, a woman named Virginia Ellsworth was the music editor for Shirley, and she was also uh, an Emmy winner music editor. And she wanted to meet the intern from the music academy, um, the, from the um, TV academy. So she called Shirley and Shirley connected us. And Virginia became my first manager. Um, she unfortunately passed a few years ago, but she was like, she was family. She was at my wedding. She was really amazing, amazing. and. She introduced me to a film editor who was working on a film for Showtime, and they needed someone to score the film. And I just happened to score a little film that I got through Berkeley College of Music. Um, and she said, okay, come to a session, come to, to a meeting, and bring whatever music you have. So I brought this music, and they put it on the... On the, on the um, Film, and it was like I wrote the music for that film. And that moment I was hired to score a Showtime film. Like, you know, you're like, how did that happen? And things started happening. Um, and it was like a period of, I was so busy all the time. And then my time with Shirley ended and this film ended. And all of a sudden, it was quiet. And this is the hard, hardest part in what we do. Because all of a sudden, the, you know, the phone doesn't ring. And at the beginning, you're like, hey, I finally can have a vacation a little bit. But if it lasts too, too, too long, you're starting to question yourself. Am I not talented enough? Also, I came to town in a at a time when women were not really scoring films. We were, I think, four or five. You, can, you could count us on one hand. Uh, it was an extreme boys' club. We're in a better situation today. We're about 7%. There are more women scoring films, and there are more women. I think in TV it's a bit better. But, of course, the road is still, it's still a, a long road. Here we get to where we need to be. Um, but definitely there's a change in the industry in regards to that. But when I came, it was almost non-existent. There were, you know, from, I think the Oscars started in 1940-something, and I, I can't remember exactly the dates, but sometimes in the late 50s, they started giving um, Oscar for music. And from there, from then until 
three years ago when Gildor, uh, four years ago when she won the Oscar for Joker, there were only three women who ever won the Oscar. There were only three nominated women. So all three received an Oscar. But if you think about it, it was like probably 0. 0.00 something percent. Um, yeah. So it was very, um, it was tough to make your way in a place that is just not accustomed to having women do uh, what men usually do. But I come from a strong family and I don't believe in, in when you get in a no, stay with the no. And most people who say no to you are people who would love to do what you're doing, but don't have the guts, don't have the patience, the determination, um, the will to really go out there and do it. And I do, even when it's hard. Uh, and believe me, it's been, I've been doing this for 25 years and it gets hard sometimes. Even today, it gets hard. But today, even when it's hard, like I was lately on a film that I really wanted. I came very close. It was the last three people. Um, someone else got it um, because of many, many elements that are not connected to me at all. Uh, some of them political. Um, most of them political. Probably all of them political. <laughs> uh, but that's just how it is. And it was a big film with, with stars and a lot of money. Um, but it's okay because now, my, so, you know, you get disappointed. But I can say, oh, my God, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. But now I'm saying, okay, I'm on their radar. They will call me again to submit to more films. But this director does a lot of films. And the music supervisors love me. So I think at this point in my life, I can build on what I've, had, what I've done until now. And there's always something. So right now, you know, I have this film which just came out. I have this, you know, recording at Abbey Road. It just came out. And there's so many more. But, you know, things. And I have a great agent and everything. But I can tell you, I, you know, we can leave that to, to the end if you ask me for advice. But I think if we're only already talking about it, you got to be assertive. Assertiveness is the name of the game. And it's okay to be sad for not getting something. It's okay to cry about it a day or two or three. But then the next day, after these three days, you have a choice. You can say, I'm not good enough, which is one of the most common things 
that people tell themselves in every industry, but they, but definitely as an artist, you're always questioning your worth. I'm not good enough. Am I good enough? Will I ever get there? Or you can say, the only thing I can do is get my head up. Say, I didn't get this one, but I will get the next one. And when you do get the next one, there's going to be someone else who's going to be disappointed like you are now. Right? There's always someone who, always someone's going to get it and someone who's not going to get it. Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't get it. Yeah, definitely. I have to say that the, the issue of rejections is something we all go throughout our uh, career. And a nice story that I love to tell both my students, and I also mentioned it in the first episode of this podcast, is that the great composer Giuseppe Verdi was not accepted to the Milan Conservatory of Music that is now named after him. So he was yeah. actually not accepted to the Giuseppe Verdi Conservatory of Music. That's right. <laughs> And that's a nice story to remember that they didn't understand the greatness of uh, and the talent he had. Uh, but then, you know, they named the conservatory after him. So, Sharon, maybe we can speak a little bit about your recent uh, projects. For example, the music for Brainwashed, Sex, Camera, Power, which was nominated for a couple of awards. Could you tell a little bit about the film and your music and what was so special about it for you? Absolutely. So this is a feature documentary um, by Nina Menkes, and it talks about how women have been um, shot, meaning photographed in cinema throughout Hollywood, since Hollywood started. And it brings um, undeniable um, fact about camera angle, uh, even dialogue, visuals, lighting, 2D, 3D, because a woman always have to look bad and do, you know, and how, you know, the angle that men looks at a woman. And I never realized that until I started working on this film. And this is really an important film for every filmmaker to see. Um, because there are other ways to do things other than sexualizing a woman's body all the time. And she used about almost 200 little film, little clips from, you know, the best films or the Oscar winning films, not even one male director that, you know, she had a lot of them, not even one who agreed to be interviewed. Isn't that interesting? Now, today it's way better after the Me Too um, movement and everything, but still, you know, um, there's a lawsuit against a very high prominent film composer at the moment, as you might know. So, music wise, um, she, uh, Nina tempted it. And if you don't know what temp music is, music that the director or the editor used while editing the film in order to a uh, have easier time editing because music helps and also uh, give the composer um, a sense of what they're looking for and the temp music here was 
um, Bernard Herrmann Vertigo. And if you don't know this score, it's brilliant. Like all of his uh, score. A masterpiece, a true masterpiece of uh, film music. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, so she, she tempted the, the whole movie with this. I was like, oh my God, what, how, how can I even, you know, um, how can I even get closer to Bernard Herrmann without copying the track? Of course, we don't want to copy because uh, A, we don't want to get sued and B, it's not interesting to do to copy someone else's work, but still get the sense of this um, cycling. There was this cycle, you know, this, this round thing that was going on in the eye and everything. Uh, how, do I, how do I score a homage for Bernard Herrmann without, you know, um, copying? And that was a challenge, but I think, so I looked at the, you know, I, I kind of went with the same instrumentation, uh, mostly, which is strings, uh, woodwinds, um, and really cool percussion instruments like celeste and marimba and, of course, harp. And Nina was so great by giving me um, a real orchestra because I said, look, this kind of music, we really cannot you know, do it on the computer. This needs an orchestra. And she said, fine. And she, she gave me the budget to do it with an orchestra. Um, and it was very challenging. Uh, A, because Nina is very meticulous. Um, and it was her first time to work with a composer. Um, so we worked a lot together. Like little things like, can you make this a little simpler? Or make, can you make this bigger or whatever and um it's also a lot of dialogue so you have to be careful under dialogue um and then there was there were all these clips so you might have five six seven clips 30 seconds each go from one to the other from one to the other so i have to go from my music to check out the first clip what is if there is music on the clip what is the key so how do i move how do i transition from the key that i am in into this new key, seemingly. And then, of course, this key, this, this clip goes to the next one, next one, next one. By the end of the five clips, I'm in a totally different key. So how do I now go back to what I had before? And how do... So this was very, very challenging. And also some of the clips didn't have music. So I would call them as films within the score that I'm writing to another film. This was really, um, really challenging, but um, it came out great. Um, Nina was very happy and I recorded in Bulgaria. So uh, remotely. So I was sitting here in my studio in Los Angeles with my, uh, was like midnight with my uh, wonderful assistant Jasmine who left me because she's now working in a university in Cincinnati and um, and I would we, we had a score here of course what happens is you send the score and the parts everything ahead of time to, to Bulgaria and they put everything together and we decide to get there on the order like because not every queue will have the whole orchestra some of the queues will have brass some of the queues would not have brass 
And I also, the, the harp was very important in this. So the harp were recorded in a separate day. Um, so they would record take one. And I would be also on another device with the manager of the orchestra who speaks English because it is in Bulgaria. And I would say, okay, that was great, but I need more, you know, crescendo here or there was a mistake here. And then we, they record one more take or two more takes and we make sure that we know which takes are good. And then everything comes back to me. And it was um, um, mixed here in LA by Mike Stern. Um, and, 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 and of course, the CD also, the album was released on MovieScore Media. And it was a really, really amazing, um, amazing experience. And I also learned, learned something um, very important. Um, I wanted the score to be running for an Oscar. So I submitted everything on the music part. But um, there was someone who was in charge who said, don't worry, we have everything under control. And eventually um, there was a mistake. And because of that mistake, I was, Ill un I was eligible, meaning I was not legible to, to uh, run for the Oscar. So now in this film, we submitted a song that I wrote um, and I've done everything by myself <laughs> to make sure that it's all, all there. So when it comes to things like that, I always say check 2,000 times and if you need to, you take things into your hand and make it. Yeah, uh, definitely. That was brainwash. Yeah. That was brainwash. Um, Lately, not lately, actually, two years ago, but it just came out. I scored um, a film called Jacob the Baker, which was shot during the corona in five countries. And um, Gave Me Ron is the director. It's based on a book series by Noah Ben Shia, who is a Pulitzer Prize nominee. And it was the book series was very famous uh, in the 80s and 90s. Um, and it talks about this, this man's man who is older and he lives by himself his wife died and his life is going every day to the bakery at 4 a.m to make bread it's not his bakery he works for someone and he writes to himself all these little notes about the meaning of life and one day one of the notes falls into the mix and bakes uh, is baked with the bread and someone buys it and she finds the, uh, the little note and it changes her life completely. So she comes there and she tells everybody. And now this Jacob, this, this, you know, very humble man becomes a guru against his will. So he starts helping others. And um, what happened in reality was that people started writing letters to this, you know, fictional character named Jacob. And Noah, the author, would answer as Noah and Jacob. So the film is five letters like this that are being acted while he's talking also about, about all these um, universal themes that we all face, like um, death and um, betrayal and parenthood and self-esteem and all these things that we Everybody is facing. Um, we had a premiere about two weeks ago with 900 people at the Saban Theater here in Beverly Hills. 
Um, we had a theatrical run, and now we are uh, waiting for the release. It's going to be on Amazon Prime uh, very soon. It was crazy because they wrote the score in the song in about three weeks. 54 minutes of score and the song. Um, but it came out great. And what I did differently in here is that um, first, sorry, first I, I wrote the song. Uh, Noah and she and I worked together. I found a poem in one of his books that I really loved. And I said, let's make this into a song. So we worked it out. He um, made the lyrics that to work with, you know, um, in a more of a song form with rhymes and everything that you need for a song. And I was really inspired. And within two days, the whole song was complete. And in my contract, it said that I had to score this, the film and the song and that my daughter needs to, to uh, sing it. And I have a daughter. She's 12. She's an amazing singer, incredible singer. She sounds like she's 16 or 17. She's really unbelievable. I agree. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And uh, so she sang it. We recorded it first when she was 10, but the, the film was re-edited. So we recorded it again when she was 11. And um, it's going to be released soon with the score. And this week we are also going to be releasing the music video uh, that was shot. And I'm very excited about it. Gave me Ron, who um, directed the film, is also the director of the music video. We can't wait. Um, but, you know, and so there were two things in the song. First, I know what my daughter can do. And when you write to someone who you know, it makes it easier. Because you know what, what, what he or she or whatever can do. They can do. Because I wrote the song first, I decided that every, there's like this film has chapters. Like the, the letters are different chapters. So every chapter got, uh, received a emotivic idea from the song, a melodic, a melodic motivic idea from the song. So the song, the song themes and melodic lines were already working on the subconscious of the audience because by the end, they already kind of knew it it was a uh, familiar language and at the end all the stories come together so i i took the the um chorus of the song and really worked that into the end it's like this big ending and and, and then right after the ending the song starts so by that point when the song starts the audience is like hold on i've heard it oh now it's with lyrics oh i'd like to listen to this so the song goes over the whole uh, end credits, and uh, we're very proud of the song. Um, it is now um, in the running for an Oscar. Uh, who knows? We're competing with 105 other songs, including Billie Eilish and the likes, and all the songs from Barbie and from The Little Mermaid. And But uh, if there's one thing I've learned in my life is that if you don't try, you don't know. You don't try, you'll never know, right? Absolutely. So you might get it, you might not get it, but at least you know that you've done your best to get to where you want to be. 
Yeah, absolutely. And fingers crossed for your you. song to be nominated and then win the next Academy Award. Amen. So Sharon, I have a technical question with which I'm sure many listeners are interested in. So um, I know many listeners are interested in being uh, film composers in their uh, careers. And you said uh, you talked about temp music, right? So every film that you receive today from a director has a temp music in it. Is it the norm of every film? It is the norm. It's very rarely that I will not get a temp. Um, I think I did a lifetime movie about two years ago, and I don't think there was any temp. There was, it was also, I had 10 days to do it. Um, and there wasn't any temp. And I'll share something with you. So it was very, very stressed because of, you know, 10 days to score a complete film with uh, included mix. Um, I was brought to the film by the executive uh, director. I'm sorry, executive producer. Um, there was another producer, and there was also um, the director. And everyone was telling me different direction. So the producer wanted no piano, I remember. The director wanted yes piano. The executive producer wanted something else. And the network wanted guitar. <laughs> and I said, guys, you know, I love you all, but we are so stressed in with time. Would you please talk between yourselves? Come with me, to me, sorry, with one voice that I can answer to. And also, who do I answer to? Do I answer the director? Do I answer the producer? Do I answer the network? Do I answer the executive? Who do I answer to? Because we won't be able to do this. I'm, you know, it's not humanly possible to argue about cues and still have 54 minutes of music in 10 days, including mix. Meaning you need three days to mix. We mean I had a week to do this. <clears throat> and, and that's what happened. So you always have to know who you're answering to and who you're working with. Because otherwise it's a mess. You can do the best score. And it happened to me also lately on another film. I thought I was answering the, the director, but I was not. The director and I, and I were like that. I mean, we really, really had it going. We loved working with each other. But then the investors came in and the producers, oh, no, no, we want something totally, totally different. Like, totally different after I already scored half an hour of music. So, so with temps, um, it can be a blessing or it can be a curse. It really depends on, on who you're working with. It's a blessing because it gives you an overview of what the director is looking for in terms of tempo and orchestration or sound design or the pace or um, the emotional parts of it, it does. It gives you, it, it gives you that um, something to rely on. 
On the other hand, it can be very difficult if some, especially in films, less in, in TV, but in films, sometimes the, uh, the film will take years to make. I worked on a film that took six years to make. Six years. Wow. So it's a long time. And if you, ha you have temp, and the director or the editor or whoever works with film and with the music for so long, they become what we call married to the track. Meaning they're so used to hearing it that they're not able to listen to anything else. And they are not open to other ideas. And that happened to me years ago on a film that I really wanted to do. It was a very good film and it was good money. And the director uh, really wanted to work with me. So we started working. It was a temp. So I scored the first few scenes and she said, no, no, this is not it. Okay. I went in another direction. No, 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 this is not it. Like again and again and again, and you start questioning yourself. How come I not getting it? And it was the first time that it happened to me. Um, I mean, it's not like you always get it in the first time, but this is, this is why we have the collaboration between the creators, directors, the producer, or, you know, the, and definitely, you know, between the director and the composer, because you build it. You know, you build a score like you build the story of the film. So eventually, I said, okay, let me test something. And I um, copied the temp track almost identically. Like, really, there was maybe like one little different thing. Or maybe I did it in a different key, but basically the same thing. And I sent it to her. She's like, yeah. Yes, that's what I'm going. That, that, that's what I'm going for. This is what I love. And I said, look, I don't want to be sued. And it's not any interest to me to score someone else's score. Um, so um, after I sent it to her and she was so happy with it, I said, look, I, I really don't want to, I, I don't want to score someone else's music. I don't want to be sued. Please find someone else. It was the hardest thing for me to do. It's always hard to say no, right? To film. We always want to create. And I said, um, I just can't work like this because it was emotionally draining for me. Um, whatever, it's like whatever you do is not good enough. And it, I, I just couldn't handle it anymore. I mean, I gave it a chance, another one, another one. And, one, and I was like, you know what? It's not worth my health. Nothing is worth our, our health, by the way. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So I let her go, and for three days, I was questioning my decision, and I was asking myself, did they do the right thing? Did they, how do you, why do you, you know, all the time? And then, after three days of making myself crazy, I let it go. I said, you know, Sharon, you made the right decision. Breathe, let it go. Let new things come over. Within two days, I had two films that were much better than that and paid me better. And 
we have to release negativity in order to get positivity in. It was such a great lesson for me um, that sometimes, you know, when something is energetically not right, you got to release it. We cannot create when the energy is not good, when you are, you know, walking on eggshells. We cannot do this. It's not good for us. Um, some films are easier to score relationship-wise. Some are harder to score. But if you get to a point where you can't sleep because you're always, you know, afraid of what's going to happen, it's not worth it. And it's, of course, harder to do when we're younger. You know, when we're, when we're older and we have all this experience and we have a self-worth, it's a little easier to deal with. And say, you know what? I don't deserve this. I really don't deserve this because I'm, I'm really good at what I do. I have all these credits to prove it. You know, if you, if I can't work in an environment that, you know, is collaborative and that's good to both sides, then we should separate as friends. Hard to do, but usually the good thing to do. Yeah, I agree. So Sharon, you've talked about it during the episode so far, and we are almost uh, at the end of an hour already, which was very, very inspirational and personal. And again, thank you for your time and all the stories that you've shared. And you've talked a little bit about tips for emerging musicians for their career. Maybe you can give some more tips for somebody starting out in the world of music today. What do you recommend to do and what would you recommend not to do? So let's divide this into the technical side and the mental side. Um, both are very important. If you're starting out, you want to be a film composer, but you don't know what you're doing, go study film music. Make sure you read music. Yes, I know many times today people who just do sound design and all that kind of stuff are being hired um, without proper knowledge of the orchestra and stuff like that. And that's okay. But what that will cause you if you grow and then you want to do more orchestral stuff, you won't be able to do it and you'll have to spend all of your budget on people who do know what they're doing and hire them to do what you don't know to do. And not only it will put you in a financial drainage, it will also make you look and feel bad because people will, ah, I can do what I want because he doesn't know what you, he or she, they don't know what they're doing. And you will always, always feel like you're less than others. So if you have the opportunity and you can, you can, uh, can do that, please um, go and study. And, you know, I have a friend who is an amazing singer, really wonderful singer. I met her years ago when she was just, you know, she was studying something else. She just wanted to sing. And I said, well, what do you really want to do? And she said, I want to sing, but I don't know how to read music well, so French and stuff. And I said, well, why don't you just do it? And she, for one year, all she did was teaching herself how to read music to the point where she was 
so good because she already had the talent. That she is now singing with the LA Master Choral, with the LA Opera. She is singing on the biggest films and she is contracting other vocalists because she took the time to be knowledgeable so she can be feeling good about herself and what she can offer. So that's the first thing. If, let's assume that you know you're doing you you know what you're doing. When it comes to mock-up, when it comes to films that are only done at the, in the box in the computer, especially if these are orchestral sounds, make sure that you know how it sounds. If you have a clarinet playing uh, a phrase. The clarinet cannot play for four minutes. Clarinet player cannot play for four minutes without being, without, you know, breathing. They'll, they'll faint. So think about that thing, the, uh, the phrase, like you were having to blow into an instrument. See when you need to, to, uh, to breathe. Also dynamic, extremely important. Dynamic. Make sure that you have the right enough. I work a lot with the volume graph all the time to make it sound real. When we had this premiere two weeks ago, I had a lot of film composers there. At least three of them came to me and asked, where did you record the orchestra? And, and I was like, it's all in my box, it's all in my computer. And he said, but the cello sounds so good. Yes. Because I take the time and I'm very detail-oriented when it comes to how it needs to sound. Uh, if you know how to mix your music, great. If not, take someone who can help you with it. And if you're just starting out and you don't have the money, then you do trade-off. I will play piano for you if you can mix this. Or I will do this for you if you can do this for me. Make these collabor collaborations and friendships that will end, end up bringing all of you to, to the next level. These friendships that, are, that you create right now, especially with young filmmakers, when they go to the next level and your friend, they will take you with them. So when you come to score film, okay, so that was the technical part. Let's make sure that you, you do this. Now, make connections with filmmakers. If you are in, you are studying in a university, or even if you don't, go to the universities, hang out with directors, with producers, hang out with people who can potentially hire you, um, and be always the problem solver and not the problem maker. That's really important. Let's say you put a lot of you know, you put out uh, your reel. And by the way, I highly recommend that each and every one of you uh, has something that is called Real Crafter, Real R E E L Crafter. Um, this is the best way to present your music on top of websites. So website, you know, social media and everything, it's great. But a real craft is um, project-based. So you can create something for a specific project and you can see when people listen to it. It's a great, great tool. Highly recommended, like $20 a month. I know it might be a lot for some people, but
but it's worth the investment because you can present yourself in a very professional way. So um, let's say you were able to get a little film to score, even a student film. First, make sure because you're not getting paid or maybe you're getting paid very, very lightly that you own all the rights. There are ways to do that. Um, you say, I own, because this is such a low pay, I own the rights to the music and these rights that I own will in no way interrupt the selling of this uh, film to, um, to someone else. And that usually is something that you can do, especially on, on low-budget films. What does that mean? That means that, A, you get, because we have uh, royalties are divided into writers and publishers. Writers, this is what we do. Publisher is who owns the master. If you own the publishing, that means you own the master. And you can reuse this later on for other films. Um, you might give the, the film three years of exclusive use of the music, and then you can sell it to other films. So that means you might be able to score some other low-budget low film with some of the music. Uh, so that's uh, something to, to keep in mind always. Um, so we talked about technique, um, mock-up, and um, how to get these gigs. Um, for example, if you have a, a film composer that you really love, you can find anyone today on social media or through the regions, and you just say, hello, my name is Tadata. I love your music. Would it be in any way uh, possible for me to spend half an hour with you or to come to a session or to get a little vocal? You know, you never know. You say, I love your music, especially, and you really know, though, especially this film, the way you use the brass in this film was so enlightening and inspiring for me because I don't know, I haven't known uh, how to write for brass, and now I'm scoring with brass, and it's like I'm taking, you know, all my cues from, you know, there's way to do it. So this is an approach to, to get to people who might be able to share their knowledge, get you an internship, you know, you don't know. So always don't be afraid. Just try, 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 and always come from a real deep respect to anyone you're talking to. If it's a composer who you like the works, or let's say you now in your first film with it's a student film now you're both students you know, you're broke you don't have any money it doesn't matter this student has worked so hard to make this film we come at the last minute usually to take something that is already born and to dress it up but these people were pregnant with this baby for so long and now it's scary because someone else needs to dress it up and, and feed it so you come from a deep respect you never say you don't know what you're doing or you never do. You never. And let's say you just scored a scene that you think it's the best thing you've ever written in your life. And the, the um, director watches it and said, it doesn't work for me. We need something totally different. 
You can say, are you out of your mind? What are you talking about? This is the best thing. And no, you say, okay, I understand. Let's, let's discuss. Would you please tell me what doesn't work for you? Is it too fast, too slow, too big, too small? What is it that doesn't work? Is it specific? But sometimes they hear something, they don't know how to say it, but can you tell me where exactly the point that is bothering you? You come from a place of respect because you got it. If you want to be respected, you have to give respect the respect to others. Um, and this is how you create, you know, relationship. My friend uh, Justin Horowitz, who is an Oscar winner, um, has only worked with one director in his life. Happens to be that every film this director does is a huge film, and that's the only thing Justin War does. He doesn't have an agent. He doesn't have. He doesn't work with others. He just works with one director. And they were roommates in college. So make this connection last forever. If you, if this director enjoyed working with you, they will call you again. You know, if there's, there's directors, they will call you again, and you build your careers together. It's very, very important. I would also say volunteer to every organization you can think of. Um, it can be the Society of Composers and Lyricists. It can be uh, this Diversity Collective, Women in Music, Women in Film, the Alliance for Women Film Composers, uh, whatever you have in your own country. Volunteer. Start knowing people. And when you do, and if you're a shy person who doesn't feel very um, confident in um, when there's a lot of people around, you have to practice it. You go to the mirror and say, hello, my name is Sharon. I'm a film composer. Uh, this is a great event. I would like to introduce myself. What is your name, Mike? Oh, hi, Mike. And you repeat the name Mike a few times so you remember. Oh, hi, Mike. It's so nice to meet you. Oh, you're a producer. Oh, that's so wonderful. I would love to hear someone to see some of your work. You cannot be shy. I know it's very hard to, for a lot of people, but this is I. I am now in touch with someone extremely famous. I, I will not mention on a ba like email on like this basis because because I saw her husband, who's a huge actor, and I was like. You know what? I'm here for a reason. I'm here in an event that a few people are invited to. So I'm, uh, I deserve to be here. And I see him as equal to me in what he does and what I do. And I started talking to the person. And now it's, I don't know what it's going to lead to, but I, I, I love her. She's amazing. So if I didn't do it, I would probably have missed, you know? So only, don't, don't be shy, try to try and try and try and try. So that's on, on you know, relationship and, and I mean, there's so much to talk about and, and, you know, if whoever listens has more questions, maybe one day you can get all these questions together and we can do another one and I'd be happy to answer them. Um, now, in regards to this way of life, being a composer, a film composer, 
this is something that you need to do in the long run. This is, I don't know anyone who just like a meteor, just from doing nothing, got a huge film. This is a long process. It is a much easier process today because you can reach anyone today. And you can work with Bul Bulgaria and you can work with uh, whoever, someone, a director in Kathmandu and still be able to do it. So we, we need to um, use the tools that we have. But it is not always an easy road. It's a road, as you know, Amit, full of blocks. Sometimes you feel that you're going two steps forward and three steps back. Sometimes you feel like you're never going to make it. Sometimes you feel like you're definitely going to make it. And for us, because we are artists and we put in our hearts out there almost every day, one word for someone who we appreciate can determine if our day is going to be black or white. It could be, you know, I really didn't like your last project so much. You know, it just it didn't work for me. You know, I thought you could do better. This can put you down for two weeks. And then if there's something, someone said, you know, I was talking about the project that it's not even you. Oh, I just heard your last project. Oh, my God, you're a genius. And you're happy for two weeks, right? But these are all small things that look very, very big at, at the moment. But, you know, we have to be able to continue and continue. And every little thing that we do is like a stepping stone to the next one. And someone told, someone told me a long time ago um, a sentence that had been stuck with me since. And she said, Sometimes you have to look at yourself through the eyes of others, which is a genius sentence because, especially artists, we are so hard on ourselves that sometimes we forget to see what, always look at what we have not achieved yet instead of looking, you know, at what we have achieved and just tapping ourselves on the shoulder and say, hey, you know what? You've done good. You might not be uh, at the point where you where you achieve your goals, but will you ever? What is success anyhow? Who determines what success is? You know, there are many people who are not John Williams or Hans Zimmer, but are constantly working. I'm one of them. I'm constantly working. And I'm working because I never let myself um, just stop. I don't let myself stop. I might take a break, maybe emotional break sometime, but then I will be always on the assertive. Okay, what have I done? What have I not done? Who should I call? Who should I didn't call? Did I talk to my agent about this one, about this one? You have to always, you know, and, and by doing concert music, film music, TV music, songs, I'm always doing something and not to talk about the fact that we have social media that we need to be, you know, 
maintaining. There's so much to do. And if you have no project and you're like, oh, because most of us work on a deadline. We, we, when, when someone asks what is the best inspiration, you usually say a deadline and a check. So if you don't have any deadline or check, let's say you go to the group of friends, let's say you're six, seven, you know, people, and you decide now that you're going to put together a concert of film music or not film music. You can take scenes from, you know, everybody can score scenes from a movie. And then you can, you know, do a nice concert, invite everybody you know, because someone knows how to do sound and someone knows how to play violin and someone knows how to play piano. You can all do something like that and create a special evening. And that will be something you can show a specific director for your next project. So there's always something to do. Um, but it is emotionally hard sometimes. My advice to, to that is to always come from a gratitude point of view. And, you know, when I said, look at yourself through the other eyes of, of others, let's say you are now taking classes at Berkeley College of Music. You know how many people, how many young people do not have the opportunity to go and study at Berkeley College, College of Music because maybe they cannot get a visa from where they are. Maybe they don't have the financial means. Maybe their parents want them to do something else. Maybe uh, they have, um, I don't know, there's so many things that can prevent you from doing something that you, if you are already in a position that you are studying what you want to do in the one of the best schools ever, be grateful and be attentive to every little thing that you know. Now, we're not going to college to drink beer and hang out with, with you know, others. That's not the purpose. If you are in college and this is really what you want to do, then pay attention, study hard, because college is a greenhouse. It's not a real life. What do you have to do? Get great grades, you know? What you do after college is what's important. And how, how do you, how do you, um, you know, behave in the world? How do you want people to see you? What do you want people to see when they see you? When I see a meet, I see someone who's determined, who has the knowledge, who put a lot of time and effort and money to be where he is right now. And this is how I see you. You might see yourself saying, oh, I haven't done this yet and I haven't done this yet, but this is how I see you. So we have to look at ourselves someone, sometimes in the mirror and say, you know, you've done pretty well. And the other thing I would say is make sure that you, if you have a partner, make sure that with, you are with, with someone who will support you in your endeavor and in your pursuit of what you want to do because this is a pretty lonely profession. You know, we sit in our studios and sometimes don't see the light of day for hours and hours and, and 
especially when you're on your projects, it could be very uh, a heavy burden on someone who does not understand our passion. So make sure that whoever you are with, that they know what they're getting into and they can support it, and you in return support them in what they want to do, because it's very hard to create in an in, in, in a negative environment. I happen to be married married to a, a Berkeley grad who's a drummer or so and works in post production, so he knows and he understands and. But um, it's really important. Um, and the last thing I want to say, which I kind of touched on before, is that nothing in this career is worth us getting sick. A few years ago, I was extremely sick because of emotional stress at work. This was something that I had for months and months and months. And I was sick with that with, physically for months and months without anybody knowing. You know, they didn't know what I had until they found out. I, I'm fine, don't worry. It wasn't something that big, but it was really upsetting my, my system. Um, and when I realized that, like, you know what? I'm not going to help anyone if I'm not well. Not my family, not my career. And sometimes people come to your life for a reason, for a period of time, and then you no longer need them or in your life, or you no longer willing to accept certain behaviors. And when that happens, when someone is giving you so much pain and heartache in business, you have to be able to walk out. And I walked out, which was the best thing that I've done for me and for this person as well, because it wasn't good for, for him too. And after I walked out, I did a lot of work on myself to forgive him for his unacceptable behavior but also forgive myself for allowing him to do that. And I know today why I allowed that, you know, um, and that came from, and I'll be totally honest, at the time, lack of self-esteem. I didn't appreciate myself enough to say, hey, this is not acceptable. You cannot behave like this. You cannot not say things like that. And so I forgave him. I forgave myself. And when you release the burden, everything opens up. Truly. And I truly believe in energy, in, in manifesting. But, you know, you cannot, you cannot, whatever you send to the world, you will get back. So if you send energy that is full of negativity and jealousy and, um, and um, just not believing in anything, that's what you're going to get back. And the last thing that I want to say is the most important one in this whole conversation. Jealousy is poison. And you, are, as a young composer or even an older composer, you are going to face so many people who were on the same level with you and for some reason got ahead. And many, many 
people who might be way less than you. That's what you think, at least. And they got ahead. And you're like, that's not fair. And this is, how come? And she or he or they, they're just, I'm much better. And how come they got it? And well, they did something right, right? And when you get your chance, you want people to be happy for you, right? You want people to congratulate you and say, this is so cool. We're so happy for you. How can people be happy for you when you get a chance, when you are not able to be happy for them when they succeed? And you are full of resentment because you're so jealous inside. Like this person is such an, you know, jerk. Why? Why do they get it? And it doesn't matter. Because you don't want to be someone else. Who knows? Maybe this person had a really horrible childhood. Horrible childhood with abuse and whatever. And someone saw that and gave him a chance. Would you like to be, you know, in his position and get a, you know, go through a horrible childhood? We don't know. As Noah Shia says, who's the author of the film, um, none of us know the weight of the bag that someone else carries on their back. And you don't want to be someone else. You, you want to be yourself. The more happiness and love and support and encouragement you give to others, the more you will get it as well. And this is from experience. So I hope this helps because this is, as I said, the hardest thing to deal with in our very, very competitive um, industry inside and out within ourselves. Wow, that's such an optimistic and wonderful way to end this episode. And I'll put it as a teaser at the beginning as well. I think uh, summarizes everything that you've said. And I want to thank you again for an episode full of both inspiration and many practical tools that you've mentioned. Uh, you've even mentioned how to approach people in a party and in an event and also talked about studying and things to focus on. So I think that gave a lot of inspiration and practical ideas to all the listeners. So again, Sharon Farber, directly from LA. Thank you so much for being on the show. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Amit. And, you know, whoever listens, listen to all of Amit's podcasts because he always has someone, has someone that is truly inspiring that we can learn from all of us, including me, including Amit. We all learn from, from each other. Thank you so much. And I'll say thank you also to all the listeners for tuning in. Feel free to reach out with any questions either about Sharon's episode or any other questions that you might have, look me up on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or through my email listed on my website, where I share more content about musical careers. Visit my website at www.awinermusic.com. And don't forget to rate the podcast and give it a follow. It will help it reach more people who might find it interesting. And if you liked this episode, don't forget to rewind it and send it to a friend. I will see you in the next episode with another awesome guest. Stay tuned. Bye-bye. Welcome to Rewind 
an optimistic podcast that'll help you in your successful career in music. Amit Weiner hosts musicians, composers, professors, and sound wizards as they share their life stories and career decisions. Stay tuned, it's gonna be epic.